If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City. Will you pray with me? We are a little afraid to ask, Holy One, but have you been paying attention to the prayer breakfast outbreak? A national prayer breakfast plus one in every state Everyone in their Sunday best and using the correct utensil, outside fork first, work your way in as the meal progresses, everyone on good behavior, using their best manners, no one born in a barn here, except the guy whose name is invoked incessantly, of course, Jesus, Jesus was actually born in a barn. Would he get an invite to the national prayer breakfast? It's really hard to say even though there is an insistence at these prayer breakfasts on just Jesus. No politics, just Jesus. No agendas, just Jesus. No commentary, just Jesus. Jesus plus nothing, to be exact. Except Jesus never talked about Jesus plus nothing. He was always talking about corruption, injustice, and the rich getting richer while the poor get poorer, or in a word, sin. Jesus was always talking about what needed to change, demanding accountability, holding the feet of those in power to the fire. Of all the things said about Jesus at those prayer breakfasts, Jesus loves, Jesus forgives, Jesus saves, We seem to have forgotten that Jesus wept over the state of the world. So even if Jesus had been invited, would he have bowed his head and closed his eyes? Would he have kept his hands folded neatly in his lap? Or would he have flipped some tables and quoted the prophet? Is not this the fast I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? We are a little afraid to ask. Forgive us, Holy One, for pretending prayer is perfunctory. Forgive us for reducing it to polite conversation. Prayer is protest. Prayer is confession, repentance, and a call to action. To pray is to prophesy, to articulate a vision, a future, a becoming. 
So we will pray for justice and for peace and for wholeness. Then we will do the things that make for justice and for peace and for wholeness. For this is how prayer works. We pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray like we mean it. Amen. So here's how Matthew remembers the story of the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and from the cloud a voice said this is my son the beloved with him I am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear but Jesus came and touched them saying Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. May God add blessings to the hearing and the reading of these words. It is a great honor, a distinct pleasure, and a real joy to be among the faithful at Mayflower Congregational Church here in Oklahoma City. As Pastor Lori noted, Phillips and Mayflower have been in a very long partnership whether you realize it or not, for we even educated Robin Meyer (laughs) a long time ago. And Chris Moore, and Lori Walkie, and Richard Mize, and Sheridan Eirick, and someone reminded me that yes, David Wheeler has even passed through these halls. We'll take credit for everything they did well. It's in my contract as president of Phillips Theological Seminary that every time a microphone is in front of me, I mention it and tell you that we send you greetings and revel in this partnership as well. So Mayflower has a bell choir that plays an old camp song beautifully. I forgot to say that in the first service, really beautifully. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. So I'm wondering if you remember this camp song. Do Lord, 
Oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. Do, Lord, oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. Do, Lord, oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. Look away beyond the blue. Now stay with me. Here's this verse. I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Look away beyond the blue. Let us pray. <clears throat> Again, we come. We come into this holy place. Holy One, we come with all these words bouncing around our brains and our souls. We come to speak. We come to teach. We come to sing. We come to preach. All these words. And we are trusting that you are gathering them up, not leaving out a single one and shaping them into something beautiful and holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Moana and Maui, a young Polynesian girl and a Polynesian demigod, must retrieve an enormous magical fish hook that gives Maui magic powers so that they can give the glowing green heart Moana has back to the great sea goddess of life so that she'll quit blighting the world with disease and darkness so that Moana's people will thrive and find their true identity as voyagers. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you are way behind on your Disney princesses and clearly are not watching enough Disney Plus with your children and your grandchildren. But my 23-year-month-old granddaughter was visiting us last weekend, so we got to see Moana again because Bailey has a thing for this movie, although we can see her moving on to Toy Story. So we know Moana well and can sing the songs and tell the story almost as enthusiastically as she watches it. So back to the story. Moana is the daughter of the chief and so is destined to be the chief. Now, come on. How Disney movies have changed since I was a child. And as I said, she needs the aid of Maui, voiced by Dwayne Johnson, who can't help without his giant magic fish hood, as I said. But Maui knows where it is, a very large, Vain and avaricious sea crab named Tamatoa has it. And when they arrive at his lair, they find the crab's shell coated with bling and shimmer with all the precious 
shiny treasures he can gather and glue on, including the magic fish hook. And he sings. Well, Tamatoa hasn't always been this glam. I was a drab little crab once. Now I know I can be happy as a clam because I'm beautiful, baby. <laughs> Did your granny say, listen to your heart? Be who you are on the inside. I need three words to tear her argument apart. Your granny lied. I'd rather be shiny like a treasure from a sunken pirate ship. Scrub the deck and make it look shiny. I will sparkle like a wealthy woman's neck, etc. <laughs> I doubt that Lynn Manuel Miranda's gonna sign me on anytime soon. <laughs> you get it. It's a hymn to consumerism, to all the values of the real housewives of Dallas or Atlanta, New Jersey or Beverly Hills. It's a hymn to appearance. How we look matters more than who we are and what we say and what we do. It's a hymn to the need to acquire more, 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 and to polish it and show it off. And these values, they come in fairly innocuous forms. I collect two and only two kinds of objects. Vintage fiesta wear and Department 56 snow village houses. And both collections are close to overwhelming the whole household. But the values also come in dangerous forms for the need to acquire, collect, contain, own, can not only consume our lives, but the lives of others, some of whom we may never know. You know, it's a drive buried deep within us, this need to say, na, 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 na. I got more than you do, and it's very shiny. So why condemn the disciples up on the mountaintop with Jesus when they want to collect and contain the ultimate shiny experience. Can't you hear them singing? Well, Jesus hasn't always been this glam. He was a drab little man once. Now we know we were as happy as a clam, but now he's beautiful, baby. Did you hear God say, listen to my voice? He is my son and I love him. And now Elijah and Moses have shown up. Let's put up tents so they can be shiny like a treasure we can always keep close by. Hold them close and make them look shiny. He will sparkle like a wealthy woman's neck. Da-da. Da-da. Who can blame the disciples? Right before the scene on the mountaintop, <clears throat> They had been told that they were going to have to deny themselves and take up their crosses. Oh, this shiny experience, it covered up those hard words. It made him forget. And even if they were afraid by what was happening, who wouldn't want to stay up there? 
Build some containers for all this glory. Hold it close. Don't let it fade. Don't let it get away. Shiny, as shiny as Pastor Walkie's shoes this morning. <laughs> let me keep shiny. But the shine fades. Elijah and Moses go back to the Bible. Jesus turns back into ordinary flesh and blood. The echoes of God's voice disappears, and to add insult to injury, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone else. They don't even get to brag about the experience. They have to keep it secret, this glimpse of glory. It's almost as if Jesus regrets telling them and showing them in the first place. And I'm thinking maybe he did regret it. Because in spite of his best hopes, those disciples, they confused glory with shiny. Have you ever pondered the meaning of glory? I have. I am, after all, a New Testament scholar and prone to while away hours thinking about such things and then looking them up. Did you know that the ancient Greek word for glory, doxa, doxology, outside the New Testament, it has to do with reputation. A person who had glory had a good reputation. Others saw and understood what she stood for, her values, her worth, her honor. Which leads us to the Hebrew word kavod. That first century followers of Jesus, who mainly spoke Greek, had in mind from their Jewish tradition. Now, now stay with me. This is really interesting. You'll love it. Kavod means honor. It denotes the weighty presence of a powerful man with a good reputation. Kavod points to that which makes the man impressive and demands recognition, whether in terms of material possessions or striking gravitas seriousness, like a judge or a general or an ancient king. Of course, Jesus, including the ones who fought, including the disciples, they thought of the Almighty God, the one so full of honor and good repute, so far above humanity that God's name could not even be uttered. They thought of God as more powerful than the Egyptian Pharaoh or the Roman emperor or Asian potentates. God had more kavod, or doxa, than any of them. And so it is that I think Peter, James, and John, they got it right and wrong all at the same time. These disciples were right that God and his, represent, and his representative Jesus had more glory than any human ever thought of having. They outshone the sun. And they offered a home in a glory land that outshone the sun. 
But you know, even as we make such a claim, we get it wrong too. For the glory of God is not revealed in shine and shimmer. Not really. The reputation of God, as Jesus teaches, is really not bound up with being the brightest or the shiniest. It's something else. That too much attention to the shine and not the substance obscures. And that's why I'm thinking that Jesus tells them not to say anything. He can tell. They got carried away by that shine, but not by the glory, the reputation of God and God's own. And he's sorry he ever showed it to them. For the worth of God, the glory of God, the weightiness of God, the style of God, as Frederick Buechner would say, is found in God's works and ours. And we join in the revelation of God's style when we join in the work of appreciating the world and one another. Not because the world or us, any of us, participate in some sort of glossy magazine perfection that never changes never grows old, shines, but precisely because it does change, it does decay, and we grow old. Let me say this differently. Jesus speaks of carrying our crosses before the transfiguration, and after he speaks of his suffering which leads me to realize that the weight of God's glory, God's reputation, is not found in unchanging shimmer high above the universe, but is somehow located in our susceptibility to pain, to heartbreak, to age, to change, to vulnerability. My friend Chris Culp is a faculty member at the University of Chicago, and in her book, Vulnerability and Glory, says this, as the prophet Jeremiah and the apostle Paul taught, humans are earthen vessels, susceptible to being shattered and also capable of bearing great treasure, the grace and glory of God. Vulnerability is an enduring feature of creaturely existence it is not a temporary condition that can be or ought to be overcome. What Jesus is demonstrating when we place the, the transfiguration within his words about crosses and cares, about death and sadness, is that he too is an earthen vessel bearing God's glory which is always found right where we live, in the here and now, and not the there and then. In the 90s, we missed an American 90s, but we were in Taiwan, where my husband and I and our then young daughter served as missionaries sent by the United Church of Christ and the Christian Church Disciples of Christ 
and we taught at a Presbyterian school. In the fall of 1999, we had gone with the whole school, all the students, all the faculty, and most of the staff, up into the foothills of the Taiwanese mountains, which are the second highest in Asia, next to the Himalayas. Our daughter was back in our apartment. At two in the morning, our bed slid from one corner of the room to the other corner of the room as Taiwan was rocked by an enormous earthquake. The power and the light and the gas went out. And when we got up the next morning, we discovered that the place where we were staying, as well as further up high in the mountains, was at the epicenter of this terrible earthquake. We also learned that 2,000 people were killed. Now, Taiwanese Presbyterians, when their country is struck by such an awesome tragedy, do not go back to school and continue as they would ordinarily, but they organize themselves into teams of, of caregivers, traveling up into the area of the epicenter itself and handing out food and water and shelter and compassion and care and blankets and laughter. It was my husband's job to play with the children so he took them to the basketball hoop, to the basketball court. I didn't tell this to the first, to the first group. You're the ones who know. And they were playing basketball together, and Don was doing his best dribble and his best swish. And one child looked at him and said, are you Michael Jordan? <laughs> he was insufferable after that. So several weeks later, it was time to start school. We'd done what we could in the emergency. And it was my job to preach at a service that would recognize the first phase somehow of this tragedy and place it in the sight of God. And I received all kinds of advice from friends. The only advice worth really taking was from my friend who was the president's wife, So Hui Jin. And Hui Jin said, tell us, tell us that God is in the great crack that split the mountains. In the aches of our bodies and the traumas of our souls, God's glory resides and is revealed when we see that pain in ourselves and others and we speak it, we name it, and we touch it with compassion. God's glory resides even in the woundedness that we have caused on our planet in the floods and the ditches, the deforestation and the resource stripping. And it is revealed when we acknowledge our recklessness and join in the healing of creation. In the relentless aging process, which all of us must face, the dimming of our eyesight, 
the loss of muscle and strength, or the agonizing process of cancer, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, coronavirus infections. God's glory resides and it is revealed when we see the lines of our loved ones' faces and courage in their bones as they face every day. It turns out, you know, we do have a home in glory land that outshines the sun, but we, have to, we don't have to look away beyond the blue to see it. We only have to look around us now. So here's my challenge as we approach Ash Wednesday, as we take the ashes, the sign of our mortality, of our vulnerability, as we join with Jesus in his journey to glory, which is in fact his journey to the cross, that we spend some time looking around us for glory. Oh, not just in the shiny places. In fact, avoid them with their shallow and hollow promises but in the deep, dark places, in our lives, in others' lives, and then reveal that glory through the mercy, forgiveness, grace, and peace of the one who taught us to see it, Jesus the Christ. Let it be so. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.